Good morning and welcome to the Leadership in Insurance podcast. Um, I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky to be joined by Matt Duke. Matt, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am well, thank you. How's everything on your end? Yeah, not bad, actually. It's a bit of a gloomy day in the UK. Um, you know, I like to start off by moaning about the weather, but um, uh, but we're actually in, uh, to tell everyone, we're, this is in February, late February, and as a man of 39, I've already been given my vaccine date for tomorrow, so... Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, they're doing they're doing they're doing good guns on the on, on the vaccine rollout. Um, unfortunately, we keep spinning up our new variants of COVID for the world. So, um, I, I, don't, I don't know what that means to my life. But um, yeah, how how's lockdown been for for you guys? Because we're are you based in Chicago? Am I right with that? Actually, I'm based in the greater Philadelphia area in Pennsylvania. So for us, lockdown is pretty interesting. Um, it's been a ton of snowstorms over the past few weeks. In sure. fact, it's snowing heavily right now as we're chatting, wow. um, which of course it helps to create social distancing in many ways. So, you know, we're just waiting for the storms to go away so people can drive safely. And then hopefully we will be lined up in queue to get vaccinated. Yeah. So looking forward to that. Yeah, good. It'd be nice to go back to some sort of semblance of normality, but um, it's nice to see the sort of shoots of recovery. So that's great. But um, before we, um, you know, I, I digressed into uh, talking about COVID, which is uh, uh, not what anyone wants. No, to it's hear. a hot topic. Yeah, I know, but you know, it's been. I think it's been. It's been done. So uh, um, I wanted to hear about you know exceedance, and um, it'd be great if you could kind of introduce because obviously you're relatively new to the role there as um, chief actuary and. Um, you know, it'd be great to understand more about the business. Sure, happy to do so. So, yes, um, I am the Chief Actuary and Head of Global Actuarial and Analytics Services at Exceedance. Um, Exceedance have been offering actuarial services for quite some time, but I recently joined in September 2020 to expand on the capabilities. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> Exceedance itself is really a global solution provider within insurance, um, or enabling organizations from a technology, from exposure management, running catastrophe models to underwriting support. Um, essentially, it encompasses both the managed services as well as the technology enablement, as well as some advisory and consulting. So the breadth of exceedance, I'm going to keep it very high level in terms of um, we really are positioned to enable organizations across the world um, in terms of to be able to, I would say, empower companies to offer insurance. Because mm -hmm. it's a really big business. It was one of those businesses that when you, because to give context to everyone else, you and I had spoken prior to, but you said you were taking this new role. So, um, uh, and I waited to find out with bated breath. And then as soon as you took the role, I kind of looked them up and, and I didn't realize quite how large an organization it is. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty sizable operation. Indeed it is. You know, uh, we have a global footprint, so we do have um, folks in covering all the different regions across the world. And we do have a very large um, presence from a managed services perspective in India as well as um, in Poland. Mm -hmm. So we have a pretty good footprint. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I, I wanted to start with this question is, you know, like specifically why why now for, for actuarial as a consultancy piece um, and, and, and why why actuarial as a consultancy as opposed to kind of bringing the piece in-house? So I'll say the why now in terms of consultancy. Um, it's tied a little bit to my journey as well. So I've held roles at Travelers, Arch Insurance Group, uh, Guy Carpenter, and of course, Blackboard Insurance. 
um, prior to joining Exceedance from an insurance perspective. And so as a buyer, I've worked with several different consultancy models before and felt that there was an opportunity to sort of um, bring them all together. So for example, a lot of times what I found was I would use one consultancy for one piece, I'll take another consultancy for the other, then I'll try to manage the working beyond, uh, you know, but the two of them to say, if I could get the best of those two consultancy companies, mm-hmm. you know, then we could really create something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's really that, um, I would say that model through partnership is ultimately one of the core competencies that we're building out that exceedance in terms of offering. So we're reaching across the table to, um, in our view, the uh, leaders in the industry from a technology perspective or if they bring a unique um, specialty practice capability that it really is homegrown. In that case, it makes sense to partner and to build out um, our own capability. So in terms of, so that covers the um, why consultancy and why I'm very passionate to join Exceedance and to build out that capability. I think from Exceedance's perspective, I'll say, you know, the timing between um, myself entering the market and Exceedance looking for this leadership position was definitely match made mm-hmm. because from the Exceedance side, they've seen significant growth um, from their staff enablements as well as other project opportunities within actual services. And so they were at that point looking for um, a leader to sort of help come on board to build out a capability while offering a, I would say, a unique value proposition. Mm-hmm. So I think um, the model that I was looking for, one that's more built on partnerships and um, empowering the ecosystem, I think it lined up pretty nicely with what they were looking for as well. Mm-hmm. And, and it, may, it makes sense to me for someone with your kind of um, you know, extensive background, and like you say, you've worked on, you know, work for carriers, large, large organizations in the actuarial piece. Um, but maybe for people at different stages of their career, is it, is it harder to bring an actuary or attract an actuary or analytics person into a consultancy business? Um, and, and I'm assuming it is, and I might be wrong, and we could do a point, but how do, you, how do you overcome that as a kind of challenge? Because as, as I presume most people, when they go, right, I'm going to be an actuary, want to go and work for one of the large carriers or reinsurers or something like that. So I'm going to say, first, take this with a grain of salt, because this is solely my view based off of my experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Intent, initially, I... I like the business side of the house as in the non-consulting side of the house because I always wanted to have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. I'm very entrepreneurial in spirit. And so I, I knew that when I took an actuarial role, um, a lot of times my intended objective was always to expand beyond the role to which I was hired to influence the organization. And I felt with the consultancy model, it was very difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's so that my personal decisioning as to um, why I stayed away from consulting up until now. I think that now as a broader industry, you know, there's pros and cons to both. For actuarial, as you know, we have several exams to take from a credentialing process. And it's a known fact that in consulting, the majority of the times you're clocking in a lot of hours. And so the ability to pass exams is really is a function of the location you're in, the work you're doing, you know, a lot of variables that are more unpredictable because you have to put the client first, Mm -hmm. as opposed to an organization where, well, an insurance carrier rather, where they have their set processes in place. You know, reserving happens every quarter. A price study may happen one or two times a year. And so you can navigate that and find that harmony. So I do find, um, you know, it really depends on the personality type is ultimately what may drive the decision for someone to go into one versus the other. Now, of course, consultants do get paid more, which is another variable to take into account. But I think that ultimately leads to the um, why consulting versus non-consulting to begin your career. 
Now, in terms of, of course, overcoming that, highlighting some of the concerns that I shared, I think having a comprehensive study program and putting people first will help to overcome some of those challenges. You know, as you know, once again, people are putting a major commitment to passing actual exams, and the average is still that you need about 100 hours for every hour of an exam session to prepare, and the majority of that happens on your own time. So, you know, having a comprehensive study, making sure, especially in this environment right now, where now you not only have work and studying to think about, but you have to make sure your family and your loved ones are okay. As much support as you can provide, as much of a focus on putting people first, I think um, that's one of the things that makes things attractive. Because mm -hmm. even for myself, you know, one of the pros of, I think, well, and once again, it's one of those, I have my bias lens. I think it's the best thing ever. I hope that everyone else thinks so too, is that my hope is that if we create enough opportunities and, and enough infrastructure for people to really grow and thrive in the operations, I think, of course, then it's going to turn into worth amount. And ultimately we can become, you know, that, I'll say that best in class um, organization that offers, you know, a comprehensive leadership and development program, not just to train our talent, but also to help them to empower their dreams and goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot to be said for kind of, I was just, I literally just come off a call and just said, we, we, do you, I think you just have to reimagine the employee experience in light of what we've just seen. You know, when people have been locked, up, locked, locked down at home, it really is just the work. So, so you, you've only got the work. You haven't got the fancy offices. You haven't got the kind of um, community that you build in kind of the workplace. So you've got to kind of make the things that you can influence. They, they just have to be better. So the quality of work has to be better. Um, you know, if you've got people doing too many administrative functions, then arguably can you automate some of those so those people can spend more time on good quality work. So it's really interesting how this this period of time has shone a kind of light and some of that is to do with like study and, and good programs and, and good development opportunities for people and I think that's hugely important um one thing I picked up on your profile um and this is where you uh, <laughs> hold a lens to someone's LinkedIn profile um, <laughs> you, I thought it's an interesting comment you, you described yourself as a, a, a business first actuary um what do you think makes a business first actuary and, and, and what do you mean by that Sure. So, you know, you're absolutely right. Whenever I'm meeting with audiences, I do say I'm a business leader with an actuarial capability or some version of that story. Mm -hmm. um, essentially because, you know, I think um, there's a few different reasons as to why. So one, I'll share that the actuarial profession it is multidisciplinary. And so there's many different areas, of course, that the exam material covers, and then your experience also covers as well. And of course, most areas you're doing some form of pricing or reserving at a macro level. There are other areas where actuaries and analytic professionals play in, but in terms of an insurance organization, those are the two primary areas that hits the top line and the bottom line. Mm -hmm. um, what I've tried to do in my career, especially with some of the business ventures that I've done was more understand the decision-making process around how do organizations create strategies and help to either empower their strategies, whether it be sometimes through actuarial and analytics work and others through non-actuarial and analytics work, such as, for example, marketing and et cetera. So um, it was those motivations in addition to doing, I'll say, um, hobbies of starting other companies or going to going for Wharton for my MBA to get a, a more solid business understanding around how, how 
leaders make decisions and how to run organizations is ultimately my goal is to bring the two together. So the core area of focus that um, I would like to do is focus on those actuarial and analytics that really helps to bring a business strategy to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that makes perfect sense to me. And I think it's, yeah, it's just good leadership in, in a business, isn't it? Just not being, you need to have a good awareness of what the other, other elements are doing, um, you know, rather than kind of just stick to your kind of silo. Um, I suppose in a similar vein, um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, we talked about the exams required. Um, do you think the skills required to be an actuary are changing? Um, you know, text becoming more important, does that mean it kind of it will be less about kind of passing actuary exams to understand the kind of nuts and bolts to do it yourself? Um, maybe it'll be more about how you access data. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to sort of get your view on 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 how that role is changing as an actuary. So I'll say the role of an actuary is one of constant evolution especially as organizations look to unlock the potential of their data and try to drive insights from it. So of course, some actuaries who, you know, like decades ago, we would play with Excel. Now, don't get me wrong, we did run models in Fortran and other things that I haven't personally done, but I have colleagues that have shared. Um, those were the things that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, now the modern actuary has to be able to really make sense or heads or tails of all the data that they have. And so a lot of times what that ultimately comes down to is, yes, the skill set profile does need to be different. Now, I will say the actuarial organizations or the governing bodies that varies by region are doing a good job of trying to support their um, constituents of expanding the material so that it's always relevant with what's happening within the industry and offering um, support. But I'll say, you know, even till today, I still personally view the actuarial profession as being one that's more of a, I'll say, um, one that's more of a advisor type role where essentially you need somebody to work alongside. So I apologize. I meant to say apprenticeship. So it really is one of, of an apprenticeship. And so you have this, I'll say, dichotomy where um, the actuarial exam process does create a solid foundation but your individual experiences and who you interact with shapes it to be something unique and different. Mm -hmm. And so I'll say, you know, it really depends on the organization. So in this day and age, you have lots of disruptors coming into the insurance industry, um, technology innovators looking to leverage this data. And so they would require someone that's more of a data science minded, if I was to think about it in terms of, you know, being able to create better segmentation and deploy the data analytics and lessons learned in a rapid pace. But that's just because those organizations are having actuarial and analytics be part of their um, of their leadership DNA. Um, for other organizations, um, you know, they, they are still looking for you know the traditional actuary. Those will never go away because understanding of the underlying risks and the things that are inherent to them are where those individuals will continue to shine. So I still believe that the actual profession still has a home for everyone, but I am seeing more and more of a need of um, the actuary being able to handle larger data sets than they ultimately used to mm-hmm. be able to, I would say, process that in a faster manner to ultimately drive um, end value for the organization they're supporting. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a risk that technology can make the actuarial role obsolete over a longer period of time? So um, 
if we're talking about technology and we're talking about, for example, robotic process automation, yeah. um, or decision trees and all that other stuff, um, I will, you know, the fault under the data science umbrella. I would say no, because um, I think when you look at data science, there is a home. And even so, when you look at the actuarial profession, there is a carve out of, there's a portion of data science that live within actuarial and analytics. Um, once again, it's so, it's not that it's going to be obsolete. In fact, what I'm looking forward to is turning the working engagement of actuaries today. What I mean by that is, you know, on average, um, I still found that throughout from, throughout my career, I was spending a significant amount of my time doing work that could have been done by someone else, um, whether it be resource constraints or a lack of infrastructure to get it done, ultimately led to myself building out tools in Excel, building out processes, things that could have, you know, been done elsewhere or by someone else. So I do think that technologies such as RPA and other areas in technology and data science can automate um, some of the work that can shorten the time. But what I think what will then happen is the level of risk sophistication of organization will ultimately increase because those individuals with the automation that are taking place can focus more on not just risk selection, but also doing the R&D to create new products. So I am very supportive of um, you know, automation being able to take off some of the work that technology can do better so that the actuarial and Alex profession professionals can actually spend that time creating more value for organizations. Mm. Yeah, I, I completely um, I completely agree. I mean, uh, I, I wish for a slightly inflammatory uh, <laughs> question. <laughs> um, but um, I think the context is correct because I, I, I spoke to it. There's, there's a great guy called Marco who runs a company called Retechnica and um, it's an AI sort of service and product and um, we were talking about automation and quite commonly we look at automation as a method of kind of reducing the unit cost of everything um, and therefore kind of it looks at sort of driving costs down um, and, and the point was made that it doesn't need to be like that we don't we don't need to look at it about reducing costs and stripping out costs it's just freeing up time so potentially you could arguably create new or just more premium and, and, and enhanced product services. And that, and that feeds into everything. So, you know, like as you, exactly as you said there, you know, actually is looking at more kind of you know, products or services, R&D within the space, and then using the tools that are kind of derived out of technology to kind of add more value. Um, add value is a definitely overused phrase, but yeah, really legitimately using these kind of individuals. Um, because the thing that I always get caught up in is someone that deals with, um, you know, the hiring of people and, and people's happiness at work, realistically. You know, that's what recruitment's about. People tend to move when they're within, you know, their expectations are not met. If you're taking away the mundane and allowing the people to do the more challenging work, then that's more rewarding work as well. So, um, yeah, I, I agree, despite my, uh, <laughs> my, my cheeky questioning. But um, one thing that I, do, I did want to ask you, because, Matt, you, what's, what's interesting about your background is that you're not... Um, you're not straight down, died in the wall. Um, actually, you've looked at analytics roles, which encompass more than that, um, you know, marketing data and other sorts of data and just broader analytics suite um, and across kind of, you know, related but different sectors. So you're not kind of, um, I don't think you're, you're not particularly biased about where this fit, but one of the challenges I've had is like, where do you think actuarial science fits now within the analytics mix? Um, I, yeah. that's a very 
interesting and good question. So I think if you had a Venn diagram, there is definitely overlap. Mm. Um, and I will share, of course, as an industry, you'll see that I think we're getting closer to fully defining data science and everyone has their own version or definition of data science. Mm. So if I think about um, actuarial as a core discipline, um, essentially you have pricing reserving. And of course, to enable those two opportunities, you have um, predictive analytics to either forecast you know, losses on um, claims or to predict um, volume, for example, from a pipeline or propensity to move if you take a rate increase or decrease. So that type of analytics always enable the pricing or reserving. So there is that overlap where they work well together. Um, then you have the analytics that I view in terms of um, helping to not just manage the business, but also performance enhancements. So your standard KPIs on the analytics side, and then you, on, on the performance enhancement side, you can really use analytics to understand where in the price, where in the process um, has gaps and that does require attention and potentially leverage um, robotic process automation, RPA or some other technology um, to sort of automate or to create relief. So I think it's very synergistic um, I don't view as one being all in the other. I view them as, you know, working cohesively towards a common goal. And so that's where, you know, like one of the things that we're doing at Exceedance is, of course, sort of pushing the actuarial and analytics because there is that symbiotic relationship where, um, you know, we can create more value by creating connected strategies. Mm -hmm. So, for example of that is what would typically live in an analytics world um, probably by itself would be uh, distribution analytics where are the lead sources coming from and if you're on the primary side and you're talking about personal um, auto or home for example um, that more ends up look like marketing an analytics um, but then if you can add the actuarial science to build out um, I would say the pricing that to underlie that information and then pull analytics to calculate the lifetime value of that particular individual given that they buy. Well, now you've created a comprehensive performer that's built around decisioning. So if you open up a lead source, if you decide to go to market from an agency or direct to consumer, you get the benefit of both working together and you get the information that's used for customer segmentation to go into factors for your pricing, for your rating, and could be accounted for in your reserving. So it leads to a connected strategy. So in my mind, how I view it going, you know, with the enhancements of, of course, RPA and other technologies freeing up the actuary's time, um, I know it varies depending on the organization, but ultimately I would, I do believe and do expect that it will continue to shift, that you will see actuaries playing a broader role within the actuarial organization, I'm sorry, within an organization, not just in the traditional actuarial path, but also in marketing as well as in other areas. Um, some companies have gotten to that point, um, but others are still trailing behind. Yeah, sure. Do you think one of the challenges is um, uh, sort of, you know, in regulated industries, there's a certain amount of actuarial rigor that's required. Um, does that sometimes kind of um, hold back how open-minded we can be on on the way that we manipulate and change of data that perhaps other industries don't don't have, or, or is it more framed in, you know? Actuarial science is actuarial science, which is one part of the data science mix. And, and as you just mentioned, there are all these other areas that we can kind of be more, arguably more creative with. 
So I will say um, regulated environments do create an additional step in the process. Mm -hmm. um, they do serve, of course, a greater good, um, but it does slow down the type of market. Mm -hmm. So to your point around um, other, so if you compare different regions, for example, if you compare the US um, to the UK or other regions that are not regulated, you'll see, for example, where um, in the UK, you can do price full price optimization, meaning calculate the willingness to pay and propensity to buy. And you can use a lot of different metrics that you can ultimately get your hands on so long as you have the customer's permission to use that data in many instances versus in the U.S. in many states um, they may not require the use of financial information it really depends by different regions or department of insurance to another so your ability to make the use of all the data you have does become less however in my mind um, I think if you have the right tools and capabilities in place, there are ways to, I would say, circumvent some of that. And what I mean by that is, ultimately, the goal is to look at risk factors, um, whether if they are leading or inherent to loss potential, and so you can get to the right price. And so while you may not be able to use financial scoring in some areas or regions, so yes, the level of sophistication in those particular regions may go down where you may not be able to come up with a unique freight for everyone. You may have 10 people or a group of people being charged the same blended rate because you just can't get that more granular. Mm -hmm. um, I think at that point is where then you focus on other areas, more on the business side. So that's where, for example, you know, some companies are focusing more on loyalty programs or on giving back on, you know, other ways to differentiate to say, well, if you're attracted to this particular other factor, then it works. So a prior company um, that I worked with before did a correlation with golf and said, okay, well, if you can't use, um, if you can't use, for example, your uh, financial history, then maybe what we do is we see if you like golf, you support the PGA tours and all this other stuff. And if you're associated with golf, then, you know, that's a risk less sport compared to more contact sports compared to hunting or, you know, like football or others, then maybe it's likely that you're more of a safer risk. So there's all these other associations that you can ultimately draw to try to get closer. It's not going to be as precise as unlocking all of your data, but you know, given regulatory environments, it's the best you can do. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, the golf, <laughs> I love that's the best use of golf I've heard. I think um, uh, I, I, we were talking about kind of touched on it a little bit there, really. Um, one of the things that's been a bit of a theme of, of this podcast, but also other conversations that I've been having in generally in, in the space, is there's a big celebration of the sort of hyper personalization of, of data. We can we can really granularly look at a risk now on an on a sort of one one on one basis. And I wanted to ask you, as as a, as a as an experienced analytics and, and actuary professional. Um, I worry that we, we risk kind of losing the law of large numbers because that's how insurance works. If we can individually granularly price things on an individual basis, the law of large numbers starts to kind of not apply because we're, um, you know, we're, we're getting rid of the people that don't fit the profile. And does, does that risk we kind of getting to a point where certain businesses or individuals are uninsurable? Um, and therefore, kind of, I suppose the question is, yeah, if it does lead to that, then how do we how do we overcome that? Um, I, I appreciate you may say, well, I don't think it is going to lead to that, and therefore that bit I'll <laughs> avoid. But I just kind of wanted to get your full point because that, that as as a layman uh, in the market, that's 
that's one of the things that I've kind of been concerned about when people talk about this kind of hyper-personalization, granular kind of risk that will just end up not insuring lots of people or, or lots of businesses. And therefore, you know, yeah, we lose that social good aspect of insurance. So Alex, you raise a very um, interesting and good point there. And I think what you're going to see is um, that's why there are cycles to insurance. Mm. So of course, there's the overall cycle where the markets are hardening or softening, or in other words, where it's difficult to get insurance and the prices are up, or it's very easy to get insurance due to availability. Mm. Um, also, another factor you have to take into account is regulatory environments and the fact that um, some will allow you to use any data you can get your hands on versus others that um, you're very limited to the information that you use. Um, I think overall what's going to end up happening is that I don't think the cycle will break. I just think the cycle will continue to um, persist. And as you have all these different disruptors coming into the marketplace, I think that what you'll find is that um, a disruptor will ultimately come in to offer a solution because the opportunity is there. Um, and so one example going way back when would probably be around progressive where their model to use um, you know, data science, predictive analytics um, individuals to understand the more, what would be deemed as the riskier individuals to figure out what the right price was, um, you know, was an example of an opportunity that worked out to be hugely successful for them. And there are other, I will say like um, agencies as well. Now, once again, not every market has, I would say I'm a, sort of a, a protection that's created by a government to offer insurance when it's not available in the public market. And I think if you're talking about region specific, there could be issues where insurance is just not available um, for individuals and then it creates a need, but it may take longer to fill that need than, um, than the individuals they're required. And so that definitely is a problem, but I don't think that problem is really new to the industry. No. No. I just think this will initiate another cycle. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that. I can see that. It's, it's, it's part of the continuing evolution of the market, really. Um, yeah. Wanted to talk about my favorite topic of staffing um, <laughs> and, and, and recruitment. Because um, you made an interesting point. And we, we were talking before this, um, before this podcast. Um, um, I, I never like to let the magic out, but you and I have spoken before. So um, you know, we, we were talking and I, th I thought you made a really interesting point. Um, and and I, I'm paraphrasing it slightly, so forgive me if I get it wrong. But uh, essentially, um, I think there's a missed opportunity sometimes um, that when we're looking to kind of uh, build out new capability in businesses, we focus much more on the hiring of an individual to kind of sit with the specific need of the moment, rather the kind of enabling our staff. Um, and that was a really interesting point that you made. Um, and, and, and I wanted to kind of expand upon that a little bit more about um, how you see that working in a practical context. As, as someone that, that's a leader, that's growing a business, you'll have like immediate needs for now that, you know, arguably you can't wait to train your staff. So how do you kind of get that balance right, particularly in an ever evolving space like actuarial science, for example? Well, I'll tell you, there's no one formula and it ultimately ends on creating a culture that enables that. Mm -hmm. um, I think people are very understanding and if you provide the right resources and support and create a path for them that they can ultimately see themselves working towards in the future, um, then that creates more flexibility for the now. 
So for example, of course, within Exceedance, as you pointed out, we are managed services and advisory and consulting, and therefore we have clients' needs that needs to be met. Um, also as an organization, what we don't wanna do is have um, a very heavy bench where we have many people unutilized because it's just not profitable and it doesn't lead in the right structure. So how do you create that balance? Well, it's going to require some flexibility on both sides, you know, on the, in the, on the team member sides, as well as, you know, on the leadership side as well, sort of create that, once again, that relationship in which case we can get the job done, we could deliver the best value we can for our clients, while creating a win-win for the organization as well as for individuals. So it's not an easy one to create. I think it, it comes down ultimately to, um, you know, an organization's philosophy, the way in which they operate and they engage with their team members. And most importantly, it's going to require team members to ultimately speak up and to share those challenges. So one of the things that we've been encouraging to do, especially during COVID-19 is, giving you know, our team members the opportunity to chat, to share what's going on, is if loves one okay, how can we better support, what's your career goals and objectives? And I'll tell you, it led to some very interesting conversations where, you know, like one question even came up where um, I had someone asked about the actuarial role in, um, in blockchain and cryptocurrency and seeing if there are ways to get that regulated. And, you know, that was a very interesting one because I had to respond by sharing, well, I'm not sure how possible that is because um, insurance companies are required to invest in safer asset classes to some degree and there are restrictions. But with that being said, um, the uncovering of cryptocurrency and coming up with the right regulations or the right steps or even being able to quantify the risk associated with it um, to make that be a viable option for carriers. I think that's something definitely within the actuarial skill set. Not something we're going to work on today or even next year, but it's something we could definitely add to the roadmap. So an opportunity there is if a white paper opportunity comes along to partner with a university or to partner with a financial organization that wants to dive into that deeper, then yes, if that person has availability, we'd love for them to work alongside with them as well to try to address that challenge. So mm -hmm. it really does create some um, out of the box thinking in terms of how you typically manage teams. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I had down to ask you about this blockchain. Wasn't that wasn't that someone like straight out of university asked you? Like, <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, some very sharp folks um, at Exceedance. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, what a great question. I, I was um, just sort of following up on that. Uh, interestingly, seeing the news today, like you know, Tesla had, had obviously announced that they have this huge investment in blockchain. Um, in, in sorry, in Bitcoin, and how now the tesla stock has kind of got some correlation with the bitcoin stock because yes it's drove it up but it also dropped like i think it was dropped i was reading this is this is at some point this morning in my morning so it dropped seven percent so therefore kind of you know there's been a huge swing in tesla stock price um so it's interesting uh you wouldn't really want to expose an insurance company to that sort of uh level of um crypto swing shall we say but um yeah <laughs> oh, agreed because to that point is very interesting I, I was reading i was also listening to the news as well um and it's hard to tell if the drop in stock price was due to um that or if it was because um tesla had to stop production on the model y well not let me rephrase not stop production they have to stop accepting orders for the model y which raise the questions if there's production capacities. So the fact that that can have such a large impact on cryptocurrency leads you to beg the question in terms of do we have enough of an understanding and protocols in place 
to, you know, to really use that as a financial um, vehicle to help to increase a company's returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it seems, uh, I mean, it's, it's good fun for me as a part-time investor uh, to play with uh, <laughs> crypto. Uh, <laughs> But I'm not sure I'd want my insurance company <laughs> investing <laughs> in the market on a, on a heavy basis. Um, I mean, what 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 do you see as kind of um, some good advances of technologies and some sort of what are some quicker wins that you're seeing um, being adopted by the market, particularly in the analytics space, that you think will be a kind of growing trend for you know the, the sort of near nearer future, rather than kind of involving in something as 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 volatile potentially as crypto. You know, so um, I think like, so it's interesting. So those are some of the conversations we're having at, at Exceedance. And of course, through the partnership model that we have, we're mm-hmm. constantly having conversations with different organizations and startups who are also looking to empower the insurance industry from a technology perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the conversations that came up was around quantum computing. Is that something that's viable? Yes, you can do simulations a lot faster, um, but what's the other impacts as well as implications? Um, I think you have existing technologies being, I would say, um, built out even further. So a company that we recently formed a partnership with called Accurate, A-K-U-R with a number eight, they have a pretty neat capability that uses um, AI and RPA to digest all of the information and data so you can ultimately build um, predictive models on for pricing purposes. Um, Once again, helping to speed up the time to market. There are a few solutions out there, um, but I think once again, it sort of goes back to really what's important to the organization themselves and what they're looking to do. Um, It's going to help to understand what the final outcome will be. I think the last technology that I think is interesting as well, that's also um, getting more traction is around um, RPA in itself and the use of bots. So, you know, like bots being able to ultimately like to process claims, to take service calls, to do other um, tasks as well. Um, I think that that's also a trending technology that seems to be gaining more traction within the marketplace. Uh, once again, it helps with the time to market in terms of you can execute it a little bit faster, but how you deploy them seems to be constantly evolving mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, completely. And um, yeah, I've seen some really good use of bots and some really, really bad ones. Um, one of the things I was going to ask you, and probably as a bit of a final point, just conscious of your time, I was going to talk to you a little bit about collaboration. I think you, you sit from an interesting proposition when you sit working for a consultancy because you can you see some good practice, some bad practice, and you can you can bring, you know, hopefully you're, you're bringing, um, you know, you're always trying to bring the best of, of, of best in practice um, proposition for people. Um, but as an insurance, as an industry, um, I wanted to sort of talk on collaboration really because. Unless, unless the kind of industry as, as a whole kind of moves forward. Um, basically, I'm, I'm trying to get to how, how can we really kind of go forward without partnering? And, and I wanted to talk about how do you, you know, you talked about sort of partnering with a bit. How do you partner effectively? You know, how does partnership work for you in, in this insurance space? So I think it's first and foremost 
going to depend on the partnering mindset. So I can share, you know, what my philosophy is and also what Exceedance is as well, is we're very entrepreneurial in spirit and we recognize there's more than one way to make a deal. Mm -hmm. So when we go into a partnership conversation, we're very open. And of course, for any strategic partnership, there has to be transparency. Mm -hmm. So we're very open, we're very transparent. And I think, you know, being able to identify the areas where there may be overlap, uh, where there may be competing interests, being able to carve that to the side to talk about the more meaningful um, items where we can in, enable each other. I think that ultimately leads to more productive conversations. But once again, it does really first require, you know, the other sides have a similar thought process and philosophy as well. So I think it really depends. Um, but once again, you know, with our approach of more than one ways to make a deal and looking to empower the industry as a whole, I think are opportunities there. So here's um, an example that's one of several examples that are near and dear to my heart. Um, as an industry, commercial auto has not been performing for several years. The combined ratios are well over 110%. And I think that that's an opportunity for as many people as possible to ultimately partner to solve the opportunity. Um, I think that there are many other opportunities as well, you know, within the industry. But once again, I think if we can all collectively work together, um, I think we can ultimately solve these industry related challenges that can then lead to innovation of other products. Um, in my mind, whenever there is a um, whenever unprofitability kicks in for the industry, that leads to a few different things, as you highlighted before, Alex, such as uh, shrinkages, where people only run to write the best of the best. And, you know, everything else goes into a non-admitted market or, or goes into um, some sort of a other vehicle mm -hmm. um, of insurance, or they aren't even insured. Um, but I think if we can address, as an industry, profitability, um, but I think what that does is it will help to, um, uh, it'll help to incubate some of the innovative ideas around creating new insurance products. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a because partnerships talk about a lot, and I and I think it's um it's it's rare that it's done well, um, and I think there's an opportunity as well. But usually, it's just about making sure that the rules of engagement, and I think people sharing the same vision of what success looks like. Uh, um, I think I think there's a there's a willingness to collaborate, but sometimes it's kind of not a shared vision of what what a sort of victory in that in that market looks like um so yeah that's the really really key thing um but it all comes down to kind of good communication at the end of the day so um perhaps perhaps we all need to get a little bit better at that but um matt thank you so much for spending the time with me today i i, I really enjoyed it and um you know thanks you know thank you for taking uh, the time out um i know that you guys are kind of uh, have been advertising quite heavily for some people so just as 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 a recruitment-led podcast i thought are there any people you're looking for can i can i get people to join the exceedance call is there a, can i put out a call to arms for you what would you, what would you... <laughs> well thank you very much yes we are of course looking for people um always welcome for assistance in those areas happy to looking forward to chatting more but once yeah. again it's a pleasure to be a part of the show thanks again for the invitation and for reaching out yeah, not at all. We'll we'll put some links to the the, the fine folks at Exceedance in the in the notes of the podcast. Um, but Matt, well, thanks again. Speak to you soon. Thanks, been a pleasure. Take care. Right. Cheers.